This event was recorded live at the 2017 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Well, welcome to this packed house. It may not be Mediterranean in Edinburgh, but it's certainly <laughs> Mediterranean in here. <laughs> um, I am delighted uh, to be chairing uh, this uh, event sponsored by the University of Edinburgh with Richard Ford. Um, the title is Exploring the Reality of the American Dream in 2017. And some of you may have been lucky enough to see Richard in conversation with James Runcie yesterday on the subject of his intimate memoir of his parents between them. But for those who didn't make it, we may come back to that a little later on. I, I was in New York the other week and I was having uh, lunch with a friend and she said, well, you know, I, I said I was interviewing Richard Ford and she said, um, I went to an event with Richard Ford in, I think it must have been Barnes & Noble, it was in uh, Union Square. And apparently there was rather, I don't know who it was, but a rather grand author interviewing uh, Richard. And he said to him, you are one of the greatest authors in America, but you know, we haven't heard anything from you for six years. <laughs> and Richard sat, and he sat, and it became much more uncomfortable, and sat, and he thought, is he going to walk out? And they just said, what have you been doing for the last six years? And Richard sat, and sat, and sat. And they said, living. <laughs> <laughs> and in a sense, um, that's what we're going to talk really now about, which is about living, in the sense of living in America in 2017. And what Richard's response to it, uh, it will be, and he won't know that yet probably as a writer, but also what his response is to it as a journalist, whether he's actually writing or whether he's thinking as a journalist and the things that actually preoccupy him about America uh, just now. And so how uh, Richard Ford lives, um, how he addresses the world in which he finds himself, um, it's going to be a form of conversation. I'm going to talk to Richard for about 40 to 45 minutes take questions from the audience, and then there'll be a signing. And I just have to tell you, because I know that you're all avid fans, um, but there's only two books per person, or else Richard's hand will fall off. Um, so let's just begin where we kind of have to begin, and that is um, the election of Donald Trump. You said you thought it was impossible. Yes, and, and, and since you described my part of my vocation as being a journalist, I, I thought, as many people thought, that Donald Trump would never be the president of the United States, and I said so widely, a lot in the UK, and so I've sort of handed, handed back my keys. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know? So I, I, yeah, I, I never thought it would happen, and I'm appalled that it did happen, and I'm ashamed and embarrassed and terrified, actually, that he is the president of the United States. Though, as, as you and I were talking about, there has been a kind of silent military coup in, yeah. in the United States now, in, in which the, his appointed generals mm -hmm. um, have, have quietly, uh, possibly surreptitiously, regained some hold of the, of the, you know, of, of the ship's uh, course. Um, but if he's going to be running the ship, it's going to be like that, you know. But, but on the other hand, there's also, apart from the generals, and of course we don't want to have a general's coup, uh, there is also the question of the Constitution, and the Constitution has actually played its part here, hasn't it? Well, yes. I mean, um, the, you know, we have a tripartite uh, government in the United States. Uh, you know about that. Um, and, and the court, uh, one of the partites, uh, is fairly right-wing, and the, and the Congress is inert and moribund 
and, and unwilling and unable to take a position which apparently, although I'm embarrassed to say this too, apparently would jeopardize the subsequent re-election of all of its members. Mm -hmm. So, so other, all Republicans seem to be afraid that if they alienate that section of the electorate that were unitable to elect Trump, that those people will turn against these Republicans mm -hmm. and not elect them. I mean, in other words, they have no courage at all, because many of them don't subscribe to the points of view, that, you can't even call them points of view, to the tweets that he, <laughs> that he announces every day. Well, yes, I was thinking about the, um, the, um, the Affordable Care Act, and all the, all, the, um, all the interest, of course, was for John McCain, the slight theatricality of him coming riding in at the end to say that, partly because of his own brain cancer, I imagine, that he wasn't going to uh, back the affordable, uh, the repeal of the Affordable Care Act. But he actually, thought it was the only brainy thing he'd done in yes. the last 10 years. <laughs> But the, it was, there were two senior Republican women, one of whom was from Maine, um, who were battling for a long time, and they got no publicity. Plus, ça change sa même chose, I say. <laughs> but, but, but they're happy to have him yeah. run, run interference for, for them because he's probably on the way out anyway, and they have their political futures in there, yeah. and they're fine viewfinders, and so they're happy for him to take the heat, and Miss Collins and the lady from, uh, lady from Alaska, yeah. I believe it was, yeah. uh, voted against... Um, the, uh, the, Trump care. Trump care. But do you think that the, the victory for Donald Trump is also about, I think, a European's failure and complacency as well to understand America? I mean, I think there's lots of Americas, aren't there? And a lot of them we don't been. understand. And, and, and in a way, it's the, it's, it's the towns where you can buy a house for a few dollars, which, of course, you'd like because you like real estate. <laughs> but there's a times where you buy a house for a few dollars where there haven't been jobs the last 15 years who felt abandoned, just had a punt on Trump, didn't they? That's right. They, they did. And they have a completely certifiable and, and supportable point of view yeah. for voting the way they voted. I mean, I was reading something that Vice President, former Vice President Biden said this morning. He said, we are in a struggle for the heart of the nation. And what I thought to myself when I read it was, well, thank God we are, mm -hmm. rather than just thinking, uh, you know, s s fortune that these people don't rise as they have now risen and unite as they have now united. I, I would rather these people, even at the risk of having a president like Trump, become visible Engaged. and have their concerns inevitably addressed by, by the government, then that they be invisible. I mean, Justice Cardozo said that um, sunlight is the best disinfectant. Mm -hmm. You've heard that before here. Yeah. Uh, and, and in their case, that's very much so, because they, they need to have their grievances addressed. And the, you know, the real underlying problem for me that Trump, in a way, um, secretes is, is that the Democratic Party in the United States is doing zip. Yeah. And, and, and actually appeared to be doing zip in the, you know, despite, you know, the great belief in Obama, the, the fact was that Trump can turn up in a town where the steel mill's been shut for 10 years yes. and the mine's been shut and kind of say, I'm going to open it. And everybody goes, well, no, you're not. No, you're not. You're not. But the trouble is that there's no other thing to believe in. And nobody's addressing those problems in any way. Exactly. Mrs. Clinton, who was a terrible campaigner and would have been a, a pretty good president, I think, Mr. Chairman, came she, she didn't even address these no. people, and she took the, the African-American vote for granted. Um, so wh who is going to speak for these people? Well, I wonder who do you think will now come forward? Can you see anybody? In what form would that in take? In the Democratic side? 
I, I mean even for the people in the Dust Belt and the Rust Belt. Well, the, well, the Democrats are certainly on notice that they've got to do something to, to, to bring these people into the fold because the Republican Party are not their natural allies. The Republican Party is, as built, the party of the rich and the party of the privileged and, and, the, and, and in a way, the party of know-nothings. Uh, so they are there for the, for the pickings, for the, for the Democrats, if the Democrats can just find a way to get rid of Nancy Pelosi and get rid of Chuck Schumer and get some new and younger brains and bodies up, up, up at the top of the party. I mean, the fact that those two people are still run the Democratic Party is an outrage. Get the hell out. You lost. You <laughs> failed. But the problem is, isn't it, that do you see a new generation that actually wants to take a leading role in the political discourse coming into America? Well, of course. I mean, that's just the nature, Young Congress of, poli that's just the nature of politics. There, there are always people standing in, in the wings for, for, for such positions, qualified people. I mean, Mrs. Clinton, the biggest mistake that she made was, was choosing this cipher from Virginia to be her vice presidential running mate when she could have chosen a smart, young, African-American, Latino, Latina person to be her vice president. Uh, and she would have, in, in one stroke, have, have brought people into the fold of the Democratic Party. But she didn't have the brains to do that. Mm. She was so afraid of alienating the people that she was taking for not taking for granted. Um, you, uh, you either wrote or, or were interviewed about um, a, a, an elderly friend of yours or an elderly acquaintance of yours in East Booth Bay where you live, and he had a Trump sticker in the car. Yeah. You kind of gave him what for? Well, I, got in his, I yelled at him in the window. <laughs> Uh, he's an ex-Marine and, and, uh, and um, you know, a patriot, and he is a patriot. He's not not a patriot. And I saw him drive past me one day, and he got past me where there's a Trump sticker in the back of his car. I ran up to the side of his car. I said, what in the hell are you doing? I said, you old idiot. <laughs> we, we, we talk like that here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but he... But he you know, it was just reflexive on his, yeah. just reflexive. You know, the, the problem, I mean, I, you know, I, you will hear me say the problem 25 times while, while we're talking, is, is Amer Americans generally don't like government. They're suspicious mm -hmm. of government. They like to believe that they can live wherever they live and that Washington has nothing whatsoever to do with the ins and outs of, of their daily lives, their pleasures, their, um, you know, mm -hmm. their happiness. And, and what, what it allows them to do is to take little interest and to be ignorant and if, if that man, who is quite, quite old, actually, um, I think he's above 90, uh, he needed a good yelling at, as far as I was concerned. Um, if he had actually thought about it, he'd just given it a little thought, he wouldn't have done that. He just wouldn't have done that. But he never gave it a moment's thought. And it wasn't even that he'd always voted Republican. Maybe he had, maybe he hadn't. He just thought, yeah, you know, Trump appeals to that, that, that kind of braggadocious kind of non-thinking American of which there are many, many, many. Yeah, but on the other hand, you, but the other, you, you started by saying that you wouldn't blame a lot of people who weren't ignorant, who felt that nobody, there was, they didn't have skin in the game in the sense that there was nobody batting for them. And the trouble is, who's batting for them now? Well, you know, we're between elections now. Yeah. So this is the living part. You think he, do you think Trump will make it the first four years? I wish I knew. Mm. I don't have any idea. I mean, I think he would have a hard time surviving uh, Mueller's um, report if the report does actually implicate him or his 
in, in, in Russian evil doings. I, I, beyond that, uh, an impeachable, I mean, you're talking about the institutions yes. of government. Yes. An impeachable offense in the United States really requires some perfidy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and not just, not just non-feasance or misfeasance. Mm-hmm. Uh, it requires perfidious acts, and, and, and maybe he's performed perfidious acts. Like as not, in four years, we only have this one opportunity mm-hmm. to prove it, so, if he has. So I was saying at the beginning that you have your journalistic instincts and you have your instincts to let things percolate and come out in whatever way they will, but do you feel right now you're in your journalist phase. No, I'm not. I'm, I'm back in my novelist phase. I've, I've, I've pissed away my journalist phase. <laughs> I mean, I, the last thing I wrote for The Guardian was after the election, I wrote an essay called Blame Me because, because I, I, I thought, you know, the, the morning after the election, everybody was in shock. And even the, even the Trump people were in shock. Obviously, they were in shock. They have no idea how to, how to govern. But... Uh, <laughs> But and most of them have gone in. Anyway. And we were all saying, oh, it was Mrs. Clinton, oh, it was the Democrats, oh, it was the blacks because they didn't turn out, uh, oh, it was the evangelicals because they uh, gave up all of their principles. A lot of women them. voted for Trump. Yeah, a lot of women voted for Trump. Well, I, you know, I, I don't divide the world that way, really, truly, about who, how women vote and how men vote. It doesn't interest me very much mm-hmm. um, because they all, women and men have the same interests, by and large. I'm not Ultimate. sure. Well, they, well, no. Oh, of course they I do. Mean, of course they do. Oh, well, different I mean, they, means they, to those ends. Different means. Maybe different <clears throat> means. Certainly, that's certainly true. But I wonder. Um, I wonder now if you. I mean, I, you know, you, you obviously you can know. But I wonder if in your lifetime, given we were just talking about somebody who's 103, um, and you're only 73, which is young. <laughs> so, let's just give it the next 30 well, sure. years. Do you think? the way things are going in the States just now, and we will come on to talk about you saying that race is a huge issue in America. <coughs> I mean, you talk about Whether you can see another uh, black or Latino president no. in your time. No, uh, not, not another black president. I mean, I can't foresee it. But I'm not very good at predicting the future, obviously. <laughs> um, but um, a Latino, yes, mm-hmm. most assuredly. A Latino president of the United States is it. I mean, they're just the numbers. The, yeah. The numbers make it inevitable. Mm-hmm. The number of African Americans is, is relatively few, mm-hmm. and, and for that reason, I think that would, that would forestall um, an African American president. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, Obama was a long shot at best, and, and, and given how the Republicans and all of the people who vote their way uh, responded to Obama, they're not going to let that happen again because so many of them, you know, this guy Joe Apio, who was just pardoned by the by the president two days ago, he was sending his deputies to Hawaii to try to find out if Trump had, or rather, had Obama had actually been born there. So I mean, I mean there's no end to the resentment. There's no end to the unwillingness to accept um, that 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 occupies the Republican heart. Yeah. Uh, where, where, where Obama was concerned. So no, I don't think in my, in my lifetime, it would be nice to think I had 35 years to live, I, I, I guess. <laughs> um, uh, you, you say that race is the primary American preoccupation. And it is well, we had slavery. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, we had slavery. On, you had slavery in the UK excuse too. Excuse me, we had slavery and yeah. there's a lot of stuff going on in Edinburgh just now, interestingly, which we'll come on to uh, in relating to that. But Race is the primary preoccupation, and it is extraordinary because, you know, we, you know we give us your poor, give us, you know, we, the whole point is that America is meant to be where you take people from wherever in times of need, and yet race is still dominant. Yes. Only in the way that actually to be African-American is harder than to be white, still. 
Um, I never think about things like that, about whether or not it's harder to be an African American. Than well, in terms of we would, I don't, I don't deal in those in that vocabulary, frankly. Well, but you, but on the, on the same basis, that you know, you've said the fact that we look different doesn't mean anything to you, and it doesn't mean anything to you. But if, if you're saying that actually, in terms of not even having another perhaps African American president in your lifetime, is it harder? In America, if race is the dominant factor in America, what does that actually, how does that manifest itself? Well, first of all, I wouldn't say race is the dominant factor of social factor in America. I would say income inequality mm -hmm. is the, is the uh, dominant social rip in the fabric, and, and, and that race is one of the ways of calibrating that particular in, mm -hmm. inequality, of, of personalizing mm -hmm. it. But, um, but, but, but so, that said, yeah. say, ask that question again if you don't mind. So yeah. It, so I, my my point is that, well, what I'm kind of getting at is why should race still be so? Why why should that be the overriding? You're saying it's not really; it's income inequality rather than I race. I do think. Um, I mean, race is the issue that it is in 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 our country. Um, because of, because of slavery, mm -hmm. because of the sectionalization that happened during and after the Civil War, um, because race was always tied from the, from the beginning to economic prosperity and the lack of, and, and all of these myths about blacks originated in, in, in an effort to try to preserve their subordination so that they could be used as chattel to to work on farms in Mississippi and Alabama, where I'm from. So, um, so, so that, I mean, so race as a function of economic issues has, uh, th those are almost invariably tied and invisib invisibly tied. Um, so, and, and I mean, it's, it's, held, it's held on because of uh, intransigence in the South, mm -hmm. because of ignorance. Mm -hmm. Um, because of the way in which Southern politicians were able to prevent African Americans from voting. I mean, none of these, all of these things that I list now seem, and I'm sure they do because they do to me, they seem ridiculous that the, even any of these things should happen, but they, had, but they did happen, yeah. and largely out of ignorance, largely out of an effort to try to keep blacks subordinated for economic reasons. Yeah. So, Charlottesville... Um, and the row over the Robert E. Lee statue. Yes. Tell me, um, and what, what the reason I was mentioning Edinburgh was because um, Henry Dundas, the first, whatever it was, Viscount Melville, yeah. um, he's got the tallest statue in Edinburgh, yeah. and, and the discussion is what to put on a new plaque, and the fact that um, um, Dundas talked about the abolition of slavery in stages rather than just immediate and so there's a discussion about what to do with that but you know the UK is littered with statues yes. in municipal parks and wherever that of people that maybe now we would think would be questionable yes so what do you do with them are you in favor of re removing the Robert E Lee or is it just is, is that just not the right argument to be having I'm in favor of removing the, the statue of Robert E Lee and of the statue of all of those Confederate generals for no other reason than that it is an affront to, to Americans who happen to be black and many who, have, who happen not to, to, to be black. There's a, there needs to be, and this is of course where we would happily depend on our news media to help us, but we don't get any help over there. There, there, would, there would need to be a, a proper parsing 
of, of, of the issue of why, in fact, we are doing this. Exactly. And, um, and, and, and that issue, if you, when you parse it, it complicates the issue somewhat. Mm -hmm. So you ultimately have to just cut that knot and, and not untie it. But I mean, are we taking Robert Lee Lee's statue off the, of its wherever it is on Monument Street in Charlottesville or on Lee Circle in New Orleans? Are you taking it off because he was a slave owner? Well, no, I think you're taking it off because he was a slave owner who acted to try to dismember our union. In other words, mm -hmm. he was a traitor. Now, I know that probably doesn't come particularly as, as a welcome piece of news to people, but I grew up in Mississippi. If I can say it, yeah. anybody can say it. He acted to try to rip our country apart. But even though that is your view, what do you do? You need, you have the, is not danger that you have then have the absence of history. Well, that's it, a problem. You know, and, and, I, and I think You're you right. talk about people parsing things and you talk about, you know, you talk about levels of knowledge, but the trouble is if you put all the Confederate statues of the Confederate generals mm -hmm. in some old steel warehouse and have them sit there like some oh. ghouls from the past, does that mean that people actually don't even learn about well, it? Well, that's, that's a very good question. I mean, you, uh, my wife and I, Christina and I, were talking about that very subject because we, we're, we're Southerners, but both of us. And at first I thought, well, it's kind of pointless to take these statues down because they remind us of something that we need to be mindful of. And, and ultimately when I realized just exactly how, how, how wounding these statues were to, our, to our, much of our citizenry, I thought, well, no, 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 I'm... I'm I, I, need to, I need to smarten up here. But you don't put them in an old warehouse. You, you put them someplace where they can be seen, where they can be accessed. Because indeed, what you say is true. I mean, if, if young African Americans, let's say we're, that, that this is the only interest group we're talking about, young African Americans are told that, um, that W.E.B. Du Bois or George Washington Carver or, God forbid, Martin Luther King were histories of... of what were heroes of racial justice, you, you need to be able to say, and here are these emblems which, which do in fact represent these things, you need to be able to say how things were at a time when these people were deemed heroic and what their heroic yeah. deeds were. Yeah. So, I, so I fully believe that, that history mustn't be just um, thrown away in these instances, that you take Robert, Lee, Robert E. Lee's statue off of Lee's circle, where I, I saw it gone last week. Didn't hurt me, didn't hurt my feelings. <laughs> Stick it over in a park someplace and say, who is that man? Well, that's Robert E. Lee. He was an old cracker who used to own, um, <laughs> who used to own slaves and who led the army of the Confederacy. But where does that end? Because then you've got issues with Jefferson and Washington. I mean, where does it end? Well, listen, that's the, when you're, if you're a law student, you know how to say, where does that end? It ends right here. Yeah. You, if, you know, when you say, how do you draw the line? You responsibly draw it. Mm -hmm. That's what you do. You don't just sort of wring your hands and say, oh, it's a slippery slope. Oh, where does this end? Where is it? You draw it. Yeah. It ends right there. Yeah. And, and who draws that line? Well, some, if we had some responsible person to do it. <laughs> uh, uh, you, can I mean, go, you can be volunteer I mean, the, for the I mean, task. But I mean, the Congress does it, okay? That's, where, that's how it happens. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it, if you're going to say that nothing is, can be done by the United mm. States Congress, you're, you're saying much more than just where will it end. Yeah. You're saying we don't have a country. I mean, it's interesting in, in the context of the United Kingdom because, of course, uh, last uh, week, the week before last, 
there's a kind of 70th anniversary of partition of uh, India and uh, Pakistan and the, Br the British getting out. And the argument really was that it's not even taught in schools what happened and how, you know, and, and the dreadful carnage that followed. And that we actually have to know a bit more about our history than we do. And I, I, I wonder about that whole question of the role that that kind of, um, we're getting to the, the age now of partition where people that actually were displaced in partition are getting very elderly yeah. and there is an oral history and we need to learn about it. But there's a feeling actually that if you don't teach these things, right. if and you they don't aren't teach taught. them and they're, and they're not taught in this country properly, then they just disappear. Well, you know, in a, in a, in a place like Texas, yeah. a, you know, a God-deviled place uh, such as Texas is, there's, there, there is an institution in Texas called the Texas School Book Authority. And, and they authorize, and they have printed um, school books which match the views of the authority. Mm. And in those books now, there are, there, are, there, there are history courses in which that's not taught, in which the Civil War is not taught. And so, um, yes. I mean, I would, you know, when you were talking about Pakistan and, and India and, and, and the evaporation of, from their textbooks of, um, of, of 1947, uh, I, I thought to myself, well, well that, that doesn't happen in America because America's a better country. And I don't mind saying that America's a better country. <laughs> but your fingers uh, but, and but, toes are crossed. But, but it's, in, in, in instances, we're not. Yeah. In instances, we, we, we are not. Uh, and, and then the other... Um, you know, the, the, the political things that are happening post the Trump presidency in another sphere, uh, things that are happening quietly that people don't actually really talk much about, my kids talk about it because they're is the ending of money for Planned Parenthood and how everybody is, you know, trying their hardest to try and raise funds again and make sure these things don't happen just by default. Well, that was preserved uh, when the uh, <coughs> Affordable Care Act was... Um yeah. It, it isn't the, it, it, it's the ending of the government funding for, yes. for Planned Parenthood. Yes. It's not the ending of No, of course Parenthood. not, but it is, everybody's but raising money for it. That's right, but, but that's preservable. And I think most, most Republicans mm -hmm. don't want Planned Parenthood funding mm -hmm. to end. Mm -hmm. I mean, they maybe don't campaign on it. Mm -hmm. I mean, Democrats all campaign on it. I, I mean, it, it would be a horrible thing if that happened, and it could happen. But I don't think it's going mm -hmm. to, to, to happen. Um, and, and, and so that, I mean, maybe I'm just still blindly optimistic about, about such things. Because Republican, particularly in the conversations about the ending, supposed ending of the Affordable Care Act, a lot of Republicans were, were saying that, you know, they did have some skin in that game. Mm -hmm. They did have some skin in the game if you're in West Virginia, if you're in the rural parts of Ohio, if you're in the rural parts of all kinds of places, in Mississippi even. You, you, you have some investment in that ability to offer health care mm -hmm. to women. I mean, the, the, it's not just black women. Mm -hmm. In fact, most, most clients at um, uh, Planned Parenthood are not black women. They're not minorities, racial minorities. They're, they're white women of, of no means. Mm -hmm. And so, and those people do vote. And I, and I, th I think that uh, Republicans know that. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a kind of a, a hot button issue, mm -hmm. but in fact, I think it's a hot button issue um, that will be resolved. Yeah. Now, I, I said, um, can we have the lights up a bit? I'd like just like to see a few more faces here, anyway. We have lights up a little bit now, just see where you all are. Um, how many people were in yesterday? I'm very keen to know how many people managed to come in yesterday. Yeah, look, you guys, look at this. 
But for those, those of you who didn't, and it is related to the American Dream, so I can kind of get in like that, um, your incredibly moving memoir about your parents, in a sense, is also about the American Dream, how they moved from their beginnings and what happened to them. Um, and that memoir, I think, is interesting for the fact that there's lots of things that are interesting about it, but also you wrote about your mother in 1981 and you wrote about your father much 30 years later. Yeah. Um, and I wonder, when you look back at those endeavors, those endeavors that these, that these people made, does it say to you something about the American dream, though? I never think about the American dream. I only hear about the American dream before Trump. I never heard about the American dream <laughs> until I got to Europe. Because <laughs> we're all dreaming of America. Well, and we're all just, we're all just living day to day. Yeah. Um, the, I mean, the, the notion of the American dream has been completely polluted now by, by Trump through, through the agency of his saying, America, make America great again, yeah. because what that means basically is make America be the way it was when blacks were unable to vote, uh, when women didn't have charge of their own health care, uh, when, when, it, when it was in, in much more intolerant place than, than it is today. Mm -hmm. So when I think about my parents, I've never thought about my parents in terms of any dream of, uh, of, of any kind. I mean, they, they had very close-in aspirations. They, I mean, I think that they felt that they were Americans, um, but I don't think that they thought they were part of the great American cavalcade. No. I, I think that they thought that they were socketed into their place in the world and that they and they did this, and then they did this, and then they did this, and that made their they life be. By. That made their life be. And I don't think that's very different no. from the way people mm. who live in Latvia mm -hmm. uh, look at mm -hmm. the world or who, or, or who live in um, um, Somalia. I think they're just trying to, they're trying to put two days together, by and large, try to see if they can s raise their children to adulthood mm. uh, in a more or less healthy way. And... Um, I mean, you know, to, 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 be victim, to be victim to the old image of the, of, of the mansion on the hill um, is, is, is in a way to take your eye off of the yeah. ball that is your life. Yeah. Um, you said something very tender, you, that you saw your parents as kind of two halves of the one person, or they made a person between them. Yes, I think that about Christina and me. That's too. what I was going to say, that you think like that, and I wonder if the, the, the fact that you have that in I mean, there's obviously many reasons why you have such a brilliant relationship with your wife, but I wonder if you were guided towards that by the memory of how your parents lived. How not? Yeah. How not? Yeah. yeah. They were, you know, yeah. Because, and, I, and, and because you came along late in the day, I, what I thought was amazing was they had this life on the road that she went with him when he was the traveling salesman selling the starch. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, that, you know, that, you know they, they didn't have the aspiration, maybe they had an aspiration to own a house, but they were perfectly happy to, uh, to put it to the side so that they could be together. Mm -hmm. And if they had owned a house in Little Rock, it's in the South, if they had owned a house in Little Rock, somebody would have had to have been in it. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and it would have unlike, uh, you know, undoubtedly been my mother. Yeah. And, um, and then they would not have been together. And so they, they put being together ahead of those uh, traditional kinds of values of owning a house and having a mortgage and some equity and an investment in a future. I don't think they, you know, other than the extent to which a child is the investment in a future, mm -hmm. is the embodiment of a kind of future, I don't think that they thought in those terms very much. Mm -hmm. and, and for that reason, I... I, I, I know they were happy, not because of it, but they were happy, and they thought that way. 
In the memoir, you also um, are really, you're not kind of making sense of it, but you, but you say that you never really can know entirely about your parents. You can no. never really know. But no, did thank you, goodness. But did you learn more writing about them? Did, you, did, it, did it change your view when you were reflecting? Because obviously the reflection about your father is so much more of a distant time frame. Yes. No, my, none of my feelings or my perceptions about my parents were, were materially altered in, in going back through all of this enormous accumulation of material that I, that I had put together over, over 30 years about my father and my mother. Uh, the, one thing I, the one thing I did figure out, and I, I said this yesterday, but, it, but it's, it's, it, to me it's still an interesting topic, is that, that, that because they were together as long as they were before I showed up, uh, they were first, and they remained yeah. first in each other's lives. And I don't think, had I not gone through these um, pages that I collected, that I would have quite figured that out. Yeah. And, 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 that, and, and, and that being third among the three of us meant that the love they had for each other, they shared with me. And um, I think that was worth, that was, that was worth saying. Yeah. Um, but, but that was probably a, a, about all. I mean, I, and I, I didn't really go through it all to try to find new things about them or even to, 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 to think something new. Uh, mm-hmm. I, 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 wanted, I wanted to simply say who they were and, and, and let that utterance be my, my goal. Yeah. Testify. These people were. And I think for a lot of people here, they would think of perhaps doing that for their parents, just testifying they were there. Not yes. Because, because unless you have, it's all in your memory, but unless you have the gravestone or the place or the book, you don't, it, it goes. And the yeah. way you, you've, you've actually made solid your parents by this book. In a sense, because I don't go to my parents' graves. They're, they're not buried in the same place. Because, in fact, yeah. It, yeah. because of the perfidiousness of my uncle and his, and his mother. Yep. Um, I, I don't go to their graves. I, I've gone, been to my mother's grave once. I actually tried to find my father's grave within the last year and couldn't find it. I just thought, well, okay, fine. But and, and while I didn't write this to, to substitute for those kinds of memorials, at least I didn't mindfully do it, I, I, I think it does do what you say. It, it achieves a, a, a kind of testimonial to, to their, n- not to their importance, but to their existence. Yes. I'm not trying to enhance their importance. And that's a kind of a, that's a, kind of, um, an, a challenge to say these people were and, and to say how they were and not try through the, through the virtues of my notice to, uh, to make them more than they were. Uh, it's in a way, I think I compared it someplace to Chekhov. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you read a, a story of Chekhov's, such as The Lady with the Dog, famous chestnut in, in anthologies, uh, these are, these are just two re- relatively ordinary people who Ch- Chekhov writes about and, and, and doesn't ever say that they were anything other than what they were, which is to say uh, sort of adulterous mm. and, um, and secretive and not particularly smart, not particularly aware, uh, rather self-preoccupied. My parents were not these things, but, but, but that's what these others were. Um, and, and so in a way it was a kind of... A, kind of a, Maybe I would have never thought to do such a thing if I hadn't read Chekhov. But, but having read Chekhov, as clearly as much as I have, it's, it seemed to be a doable project. Now, I wanted to just turn to something else because, you know, you, you're very relaxed in your own skin, you know, it seems to me. But you recently returned to a very old spat, an article in uh, Esquire from uh, Colson Whitehead, who was an, uh, 
who, who is an author, actually just won the Pulitzer, with whom you had an altercation many, many years ago about a, a review. That Not that many. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, not that many. Ooh, only 14, 15. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, eight. Really? Well, I'm, I'm obviously a very poor researcher. I'm the, I'm the spatty here, so I... <laughs> you know. <laughs> I and also, that's I a, would, it's spit remember. and spat. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, spit and spat, because what happened was there was an altercation because there was a coruscating review of your short stories. And you, you when you met him, there was a kind of spitting thing. I spit in his face. Yeah, he spat in his face. And then that kind of, people kind of remembered it, but then they didn't. And then you raised it again. And I wonder why you raised it again and whether it not it matters still so much to you. Because it matters so much to me. <laughs> that's, that's, that's why. Because it, it was a piece that was in Esquire about, about reviewing. Right. And, and about the ways in which very, and you're coruscating. I, I, I actually, the, it was so coruscating that Christina wouldn't let me read it. Although she did read a, a couple of parts of it to me, it was a with much, a whiskey. very much a spitting on my book. Um, but but I was writing about the the adverse effects upon people such as I by um, reviews and reviewers uh, who who blithely uh, take the three years of a person's life and piss it away in an afternoon and print it in the newspaper and drive readers away from the book. Mm -hmm. Now, that's the water I swim in. That's the nature of my existence. That's what happens to me. But I don't have to take it lying down. And I don't take it lying down. And that isn't the first altercation <laughs> I've had with people. So, uh, and it so may not be the last. I, I that's interesting. So do you, peep, do you put reviewers on notice? Well, reviewers should live on notice. <laughs> because we're all out there. <laughs> you might just be creeping around the back when they're not looking. Well, it's more, more likely something just adventitious, you know. An elevator door opens and, ah, <laughs> there you are. Exactly the man I want to see. <laughs> No. In spitting distance. Spitting distance, yeah. Yeah. But seriously. Seriously. I know you're serious, but I'm... I'm this is serious. This is serious. But actually, is it not more valuable? You might have a reviewer who says something pissy, right? But the fact is, when people read your books and when your books sell and when you get that kind of gratification, is that not the gratification that actually upends the critic's review? Apparently not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't do it to everyone. <laughs> but but when something is when something Alice is, Hoffman, I think did you not shoot a book? No, of Christina did that. <laughs> she shot a book of Alice Hoffman's. We, <laughs> she wrote a terrible review of a book of mine, and, and my my editor, who is a Scot, Christopher <laughs> McLehose, uh, sent the book to us, and Christina just took it out in the backyard and put a bullet through it. <laughs> Sent it back to Macrohose and said, don't send this crap to our house anymore. <laughs> I mean, you I know. I mean, I've I mean, had to ask someone for a watch because I can't you know, see the damn clock. So anyway. You know, Kirsty, I've been doing this 50 years. Yes. I, I'm sort of, I've got an investment in this. Yes, here we are. We've got 15 minutes. And so this is, <laughs> I've got to go out to the audience. Before I got to go to the audience, we, we share something in common. And that, to be honest, is property porn. Yes, we do. Oof. You like houses, don't you, big stuff? Yes, I do. I, I like houses, but I've written about houses for yeah. years and years and years. And so I, I don't know which came first. 
I, I did write um, in in this in this book between them, if, if, as if it were mm. there, about my father in the 50s. Uh, ultimately, he decided he wanted a house better than the house he had. So I guess in a way he bought into the American dream in that way. Mm -hmm. um, but he would on weekends palace my mother and me in the car and out we'd go to the to the suburbs, you know, just looking around, driving for sometimes two or three hours on a Sunday afternoon, just driving around, looking at houses and maybe speculating about that piece of property. Could we afford it? And writing down phone numbers off of uh, estate agents placards and, um, and, and then going back home and calling the realtor and saying, you know, I see that house on Berlin Drive. Uh, how much is that house? We, I, I just, that, that just seemed to me to be in, in the grain of my life. Yeah. But I think it's extraordinary because there you are, you're a kid, you go and see these houses and some of them look great and you think you're about to move and then he pulls it. That's and, right. And so, you know, now you've got your houses and so you know you've got them for real. You're not going to be getting rid of them. It's not nearly as satisfying to have them as it is to, <laughs> as, as it is, as it is to want them. Ooh. You know, it's, it's uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, you're still wanting them. Well, of course, of course. But I, I'm, I'm just reaching that sort of asymptotic point, you know, <laughs> where I can't get any closer to full consummation of that need. Mm. I, I think I'm as close as I can get. Right. Okay, now let's get these audience lights up because I'm sure there's hands up. Let's take 15 minutes of questions. Okay, there's a, let's get a microphone up here. Let's get a microphone over here to this gentleman over here, please. And let me take uh, your question, please. Thank you. Um, I have a question about the media in America right now. Okay, good. Are there any particular outlets that you would suggest supporting or even... Um, um, perhaps subscribing to that you would trust in this era of fake news. Um, I, I mean, I'm I'm appalled that you think this is an era of fake news. Uh, that's that that's one thing. Um, I mean, um, I mean, I you know, frankly, I I read the FT, um, and and not because I sometimes write for the FT, but because I think there's a, a level of disinterest at the FT. Um, and that they have a good bureaus, bureaus in, 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 in the U.S. I'm not as I'm not as enthusiastic about about the New York Times as as I used to be, um, because of certain kinds of issues that require a, a, a sort of finer tweezing of of, of, of values that, than I find uh, tweezed in, in in the New York Times. And I'll I'll, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, you know, I, Christina and I always quote this line uh, from some some director in Brazil that I once wrote down it says drama is interesting when the villain says something that's true and so and so Trump is is always saying rubbish he's a liar he's a fool he's a he's a he's a he's a bad guy but every once in a while he says something that's actually not wrong and, and I don't find the news media particularly, we now have a liberal news media, just as you do in Britain. We have a liberal news media and we have a conservative news media. Alas, uh, we, don't have a, we hardly have one in that really. And, and, and every once in a while when Trump says something that's true, I don't see it registered in the news media. I mean, Trump said, for instance, that, and this is, it just drove people crazy. He said that, that, that when that riot happened in Charlottesville three weeks ago, that there was responsibility apportionable on both sides. Well, you would have thought that, that he had uttered the, the most grave profanity, except it was true. 
except it was true. I mean, there's a picture of a guy uh, in this group, which I can't remember what it's called, of, 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 of anti-Klan, anti-white nationalists, shooting a flamethrower at these guys, you know? So, I mean, un unless and until the media are going to be able, and you know, and I loathe this guy, are going to report things that actually happened, then I, then I don't think, you know, I don't think it's fake news, really. I think it's just not all the news. And that's the New York Times' motto, all the news that's yeah. fit to print. And I don't always see it re reported. I mean, I mean, the whole issue of, of taking these statues down, you know, there's a whole lot of, of threads here. And, and one of those threads is that even though these guys, such as Robert E. Lee, were who they were, uh, they still amount to something to a large portion of the American public. And, and it's those people who have to be brought into the fold. And, and if you only excoriate them, if, and I'm not talking about white nationalists, I'm not talking about Ku Klux Klan. They can be excoriated day in and day out as far as I'm concerned. But it's the other people, and when Trump said, you know, there were some decent people in that group, well, there probably were some decent people in that group. And until those kinds of issues are able to be aired, we're not, we're not going to have that kind of melding back together of, of a polity in this country. And again, I want to say, I'm not on their side. I'm against racial hatred. I'm against white nationalism. I'm against the Ku Klux Klan. But they're there. Gentlemen over here, um, uh, question to you. Yep. Hi. Uh, first, a brief comment about statues. And uh, as an American, I admire the Scots for erecting statues to writers like <laughs> yeah. uh, Catherine Sinclair yeah. and Sir Walter Scott, well, Scott right. as opposed to generals and uh, politicians. But um, I, I wanted to ask your comment about something. Uh, something that I find hopeful about race relations in the U.S. is the recent new Smithsonian Museum in Washington America. Uh, of uh, African-American history and culture. Yes. And, uh, and I wanted to ask you to comment. I read a book on this. Uh, why it's taken 150 years uh, to get a museum of that type. Thank you. Um, the, 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 your, your last question, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I mean, I, I think there are a lot of people in the United States who, who think it shouldn't be up now. So that's kind of the reason, that, that, that's one thing that answer, answers your question. But, you know, race relations in the United States are better than they have been at any time in my life. If you think that I, that I never went to school with an African-American child. I never had a friend who was an African-American boy, and I'm 73 years old, so that's been 60 years ago. Never had. So now things, and indeed, things are much more um, violent uh, in the public. In the, it was violent before, but it wasn't in the public eye. I mean, what police are doing now in America against African-Americans is in the public eye. Um, uh, smartphones, smartphones. Smartphones, all kinds of things. Th things are just better. They're far from acceptable, but they're better. And, and I actually don't think, if you had Paul Beatty up here, I, and, and I wish we had had Paul Beatty up here, but he would probably say that. Yeah. He would probably say that race relations in the United States are better than they ever have been. But that isn't to say that there aren't plenty of bigots and crackers and violent people and, and people that you would, wouldn't want to share a meal with, um, running, you know, running the country even. Yeah. <laughs> now, as a microphone, you've got it? Yeah. Brilliant, thank you. Is there anyone over here for a question? Yep, take your question. Uh, can I ask you, how influential to Trump is Rupert Murdoch? 
you know, you probably would know better than that than, than, than I, although he's an Australian, of course. I, he I, runs Fox. Oh, I know who he is. Um, um, I, I, it's hard to really think that anybody's very influential with Trump, to, 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 to be honest with you. I mean, he's just influenced by the next person who walks into the room. So if it's Rupert Murdoch, okay, then he's influenced by Rupert Murdoch for 30 minutes. Or if it's, or if it's, or if it's Bannon, he's influenced by Bannon for 30 minutes. I, I, don't, I, I think he's so out of touch with him, with his own job as president, that, that, that who, who influences him is, is just haphazard. Yes, a woman up at the back, thank you. Um, I was very taken by what you said about ignorance. Where are you? Sorry. Wave at me. Thank you. Um, the, the business of ignorance and education, mm. the, the idea that the thing to fear is the person, the stupid person who acts in his or her own worst interests. That's right. Do, do you know what to, what can we do about this issue of, of ignorance and people really... Well, it's not a new phenomenon in America. <laughs> um, but but I, only have, I only have the tried and true stayed remedies for that that you already know. Mm. Family and education, family and education, family and education, to have a loving household. And, and, and to, have a, to have an intact family means that you can't have, you know, 19 children. Mm -hmm. And, and to, to, have, uh, to have a school board that actually will fund schools. Mm -hmm. Now what you see in the United States are rural school boards not only consolidating schools, but closing down local libraries and closing down and, and, and you know not passing bond issues for schools. Mm -hmm. Schools have always been in the in the American past uh, a, a poor relation. You know, school marms in those old frontier towns were sort of looked looked down on and sequestered in almost nun-like fashion in, in, in Nebraska. So I mean, there, there's not a great, with John Dewey to the side, there's, there's not a great tradition of, of belief in education. There's much more of a tradition of the gifted amateur, mm -hmm. of somebody who, who, who doesn't need education, who can, who can just simply rise and on the strength of his own or her own will succeed but, but, but so we, we don't have in the United States a flourishing belief in the future of particularly primary and grammar school education. So, I mean, my remedies are the ones you already know, and I don't have any better remedy for that than you do. Question over here, thank you. I'm wondering if you can explain to me, this is possibly naive, but I have a friend here, several friends here, they work in America, well-educated, well-traveled, quite rich, and they talk about Hillary Clinton as though she's the devil, that truly horrible I don't, woman. I really don't get it either. I mean, she's not an attractive human being, uh, but, I, but I mean, she's right thinking, she's, she's very smart. She understood government as well as you could conceivably understand government. But I mean, she, she is a, a, a liberal, per se, and so she's uh, for, uh, you know, these are rich people you're talking about, so they don't like the notion of regulation, and they don't like the notion, the idea of taxation is almost toxic to them. And, and, and so those are things Hillary would, would inevitably um, promote in favor of education, Planned Parenthood, family support, all, all of those kinds of things. And, and unfortunately, I think these people, without the, without the f flame fanning of the right-wing press, 
might not have ever consolidated to 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 toxify Hillary the the way that they did. But once they were given a presented a vocabulary for this, it was it was just easy to tumble to that vocabulary. And obviously that doesn't let them off the hook. I mean, it's a little bit puzzling to me too. I mean, I mean, they, and you can't set aside the notion that it's just that she's a woman. You, you, you certainly can't, and, and that doesn't exclude women from being uh, the malefactors in that equation as well. There just is a lot of people who just thought Hillary, because she was a woman, shouldn't be president, just as there was the case that when Brock was running, they thought he was African-American and he shouldn't be president. She was just unfortunately skillless enough as a, as a, as a campaigner to alienate people who would in fact have put her in. Thank you very much. Now, question, I think, maybe our last question, but in the front row. This, this is a direct follow-on to the last question. You used the word stupid of, of Hillary Clinton. I think you were referring to her choice of vice presidential Yeah, I thought it was really mate. brainless. Two sentences prior to that, you had said that you thought she would have made a good president. Yes, I do. Would you like to say a little bit more about that apparent I mean, Don't paradox? you think that, there's a, that, that, that people who would be good presidents could also be stupid? We have a president now who's always I, I realize you do, but, but <laughs> would, would Clinton have been such a... Would oh, you, she would, would make terrible... Was she so stupid that she, she was would good, make, Believe me, that to me, that to me I, don't, I don't understand at all. I don't understand her choice of a vice presidential candidate a at all. And if she were president, she would do other stupid things too. I, I don't think that the office for anyone, from George Washington to FDR to JFK to, to, to Bush, ever inoculates you yeah. against doing really boneheaded things. She just unfortunately did her boneheaded thing before she got there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We've got two minutes. This is the tiniest question. In one of your novels, Frank Bascom says, refers to the normal, applauseless life of us all. Yes. Do you think that um, applies to your parents' lives? Yes, oh. I absolutely do. My, my parents lived an applauseless life, and for that reason, did not live a less than wonderful life. Mm. Uh, and so that, there's something, you know, in, in my way of affiliating myself with all of humanity, which is pretty hard to do, uh, um, that, that makes me want to give them that little tiny bit of applause for being and, and only for being, not because they were my parents, it was just, just fortuitous that they had a child who became a writer. Uh, fortuitous and inexplicable, it should be said. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's entirely right and it's probably why I write about Frank in the loving way that I, that I do. You know, there's one other thing I, I would like to... Well, no, we actually talked about it. We, we, well, uh, it was in my, back in my brain to want to talk about the, the news media not parsing out these things enough, but I've beat on that horse enough. I don't need to... And I think finishing about your parents is a perfect way to finish this session. Please, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much, Tedham University. Richard Ford. If you could just stay there for a minute. If you could just stay there for a minute, I'll let Richard get out to the signing tent before you all race it after him. So thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for EdBookFest. The next book festival is on from the 11th to the 27th of August 2018.